Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here, the second of our three hours together today. The phone number is 877-973-7425. It is an open line Friday. I've been keeping my eye on the Dow Jones. Those of you listening over the weekend, I I apologize for making it so uh, necessarily timely, but it really is. The Dow uh, has recovered a little bit. It had gotten down to almost 700 points, and its bounce back is now only down 573, but still down 573 right now. Um, We are in bear market territory. The S&P and the NASDAQ have several months ago fallen into bear market territory, and the news continues to be grim. Yields climbed on Friday, and the yield on the two-year Treasury note notched a new 15-year high as markets assessed the Federal Reserve's latest rate hike and what it means for the economy going forward. The policy-sensitive two-year Treasury hit a fresh 15-year record of 4.266% earlier in the session, but was last trading at 4.18%. Meanwhile, the year on the 10-year high, an 11-year high of 3.825% earlier in the session, but last traded flat at 3.7%. Yields and prices move in opposite directions, with one basis point equaling 0.01%. The climb in yields came as markets weighed the implication of the Federal Reserve's latest policy and signals its willingness to accept recessions ahead if it doesn't stop inflation. What does all this mean? Essentially, it means that the bond market is where people are moving their money because you've got the uh, full faith and credit of the United States behind a bond you don't on a, a company stock. So stocks tend to go down and bonds go up during a recession, and so people tend to pivot around there. And that's what's happening in the economy. This is in real time. We are seeing this today, watching the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the rest of the markets collapses, the bond market goes up because investors are deeply worried about an imminent, if not already in recession. FedEx has decided to raise shipping rates by 6.9% as it combats slowdowns. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Um, and I, 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 I prefer FedEx to UPS. Don't mean to offend those of you who are listening who work for UPS, and I know I have a lot of you who are listeners. I just over the years have had better experiences with FedEx. It's it's not as big a company. But, I mean, we we have a great relationship with our FedEx guy. He knows right where to leave the package. They never throw it on the porch. It seems like we have a new UPS driver all the time. What really personally aggravates me to know in these days is that when we get packages from UPS – those packages show up sometimes 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and I feel terrible for the workers. I mean, we got new iPhones. Last week was Apple Christmas uh, where the Jesus phone arrives, and they said it would arrive by 11 a.m. That lady, poor lady, she showed up at 9 p.m. I tipped her. I felt so bad for her. She had been all over the place, never tipped a UPS worker before. And she's very adamant no, and I was very insistent yes. I was like, you can give this money to charity then. I felt terrible for the woman, and we had to be the last. We, well, no, we weren't actually the last stop. She still had several more stops. Ye, the FedEx guys, they show up on time. They'll come to the house. They'll pick up my package. Um, it, the, the FedEx Kinkos is a more pleasant experience, for and and I just I'm, I like FedEx. I'm a big fan of FedEx. 
And I'm a big fan of its old CEO as well. And there was a story out the other day that when Alan Greenspan was chairman of the Federal Reserve, he would regularly call, what is it, Fred Smith of uh, FedEx? And talk to him about once a week on what he was seeing. Why? Because shipping companies tend to be reliable forward indicators of the state of the economy. FedEx was the first major American corporation to come out and say, we're headed into a recession. We're seeing a shipping slowdown that is not related to the supply chain crisis. FedEx now says it plans to raise shipping rates by an average of 6.9% across most of its services starting in January as the delivery giant copes with a global slowdown. The rate increase is higher than previous years and comes days after the company slashed its profit and sales forecast. FedEx and rival UPS raised shipping rates by an average of 5.9% for 2022, the first time in eight years that either has strayed above 4.9%. Inflation in the U.S. has been hovering near four-decade highs. Energy prices have declined in recent weeks, so they're still above year-ago levels. FedEx offsets some of those costs with fuel surcharges. The company is raising rates as it and other carriers are suddenly stuck with excess capacity. Ocean freight rates have plunged during what is typically the industry's peak season after cargo owners shipped holiday goods early and inflation dented demand. The average number of packages FedEx handled daily in the quarter ending August 31st fell 11% from the prior year, the third quarter of declines. This is a leading indicator the economy is headed towards turmoil. I got to tell you. Uh, so my sister brother-in-law, they live outside Memphis. They live north of Memphis, uh, out in Tipton County. My sister uh, decided she wanted to go back to work. So what does she do? She drives a school bus. My brother-in-law retired as a master chief of the Navy. He's worked for defense contractors up there and other things. And as a brilliant mechanic, can fix anything. And when I go up there to visit my family, it's rare that I get to travel up there these days. But one of the coolest things is at the Memphis airport to watch the FedEx hub. Now, UPS is headquartered in Atlanta, but most of its shipping goes out of what the the um, the airport up in Kentucky or, or Southern Ohio, Cincinnati or whatever it is, that airport. They send a lot of stuff out of there. They don't send as much out of the Atlanta airport. FedEx sends everything through Memphis. It is amazing to watch that airport. I mean, the, the, the FedEx to watch the shipping, to watch um, to watch it on radar, to watch the live streams and stuff and, and the, the sped up time lapses of planes coming in and out. In fact, it's amazing to watch. Those people have supply chain down. It is so impressive to watch. And it's notable the old chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, used to check in with the CEO of FedEx every single week about their patterns because it's such a forward indicator of where the economy is headed. On top of that, there's this from Reuters. The cost of renting a home in the United States is surging. Young workers have felt the sharpest pain, many of them taking on additional jobs or roommates to afford housing costs. Household rents in 2021 jumped 10% from pre-pandemic levels, according to Census Bureau estimates released last week. The figures came as rising health care and rental costs pushed U.S. consumer prices up unexpectedly. The data from the Bureau's annual American Community Survey puts median U.S. rent 
at $1,037 in 2021, up from $941 in 2019. Year-over-year increases in the median household rent over the past decade were typically 2 to 3%. One exception was the 5% rise 2018 to 2019. Among those affected most are recent college graduates, young people, yet again who were finally hoping to be able to move out of their parents' basement are stuck there because the economy is just not doing well at all. The economy is hurting everybody, particularly new workers, the poor, and the middle class. The economy is rapidly again becoming one of the biggest drivers of the election. On Fox and Friends this morning, they interviewed the head of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. Gas prices have been going down because the price of a barrel of oil has been going down to below $80. And this is what he had to say. And I mentioned it sounds like this is going to be one of the most expensive winters to heat your home because just like everything else, the prices have gone up. You're exactly right. You know, we anticipate natural gas prices, which have come down in recent weeks due to the situation in Europe being a little more stable. But still, it's going to be high. It's going to be 15, 20 percent. The other issue, though, is where is gasoline going to go? And, you know, you mentioned earlier the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Those drawdowns, which have been putting a million barrels a day into the system, uh, those will end after the after the midterm elections. And if you pull a million barrels a day out of the this, out of the system, right. what happens to gasoline prices? We're, we're seeing analysts saying we're, we may jump back up to five dollars by the end of the year. And that's real concerning for a lot of folks. Uh, yeah. Five dollars again. They timed this. For the election, that's going to make prices go up further, too. But there is one saving grace. Small comfort to any of you. One saving grace. A recession. A recession. As the global economy slows down, people aren't traveling as much. As people aren't traveling as much, they're not filling their car up with gas as much. As they're not filling up their car with gas as much, well, people aren't buying it. And as a result, as a result, you are going to see gas prices stay down for a little while. But... The Biden administration is going to have to start buying to fill up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve again. They're going to have to start buying. And when they do that, it's going to take gas and oil out of the market to put it back into storage. And it becomes a supply and demand issue. And that supply and demand issue is going to affect us. That supply and demand issue is going to hit us. That supply and demand issue is going to directly affect you. And what the Biden administration is hoping is that it doesn't hit you until after the election. But at this point, it doesn't really matter because it's still high. 
You know, the thing that's remarkable to me is that so many people are now talking about, oh, Biden's turned the corner. He's on the rebound in the polling. He's still down by 10 points in the polling. His approval is 43 percent. That's not good. That's where Trump was in 2018. And the Republicans got blown out of the water in 2018 with Trump there. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's so wonderful. He's he's rebounding. The Democrats can take hope. They really can't take hope. It's the hope that kills you, Democrats. They're starting to go back down in the generic ballot as well. Emerson College has shifted to its likely voter poll. It's tied 45-45, Democrat and Republican. And you Democrats are saying, well, ha-ha, Republicans, actually keep in mind, generic ballot polling tends to favor the Democrats by several points. So if it's tied, that means the Republicans are actually ahead. And even Democratic pollsters will tell you that's the truth. This is the latest NBC News generic ballot poll. It was also tied. These aren't good numbers for Democrats right now, and the economy continues to get worse, and the Republicans continue to focus back on the economy. Here's Scott Jennings, my friend who's on CNN, talking to John Berman. Uh, A, yes, I do think it's the right focus. If you look in the national polling that's come out lately, the issues where Republicans have the biggest advantage are those issues that he's Mm -hmm. emphasizing, inflation, border, crime, quality of life, cost of living. In the NBC News poll uh, that came out this past weekend, there was a simple question. What's more important to your vote for Congress, a candidate who focuses on uh, cost of living or a candidate who focuses on abortion? Cost of living was 59 percent. Abortion was 37 percent. I think what Republicans are emphasizing here puts them in the biggest bucket of voters uh, from which to compete. Yep. And the election is less than seven weeks away. 877-973-7425. It's an open line Friday. I'll take your calls when we come back. Confession. I'm rather excited. Uh, This show is going slow all of a sudden. Normally it speeds by. But... Tomorrow, there's so there's this place in Georgia called Barnsley Gardens. I love it. It's like an hour north of Atlanta, and you just lose yourself out there. It's fantastic. And I'm going to go up there tomorrow and have more cigars than I should, take a golf lesson, play 18 holes of golf after the golf lesson, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to relax. I'll have a few beers and some cigars and play golf and fish. I've got my fishing rods with me. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm ready to go. And I'm trying not to be resentful that I've got an hour and a half before I can go. But nonetheless, I want to take your phone calls as well. 877-973-7425. Pam, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show, Pam. Hi, Eric. I love your show. Listen as often as possible. But I have a question about the Stacy thing. Do you think that had she been pregnant or had a child, she might feel different about this? And I say this because I'm almost 70. I had a baby years ago, and I will never forget that first flutter of his life inside me. And I can't imagine not feeling that. Do you think that has anything to do with how she's so adamant about all this other stuff? Uh, You know, the most aggressively pro-abortion people I know are the ones who have never had kids. 
um, who've never gone through the ultrasound process, who've never gotten now these days the 3D ultrasound. Um, it's it's one thing to say it's it's not a heartbeat. It's it's a sound generated by the ultrasound machine. I think most people know that, but they also under, understand what that sound is representing. Um, you know, the, the danger here for Stacey Abrams, just at a political point, the danger for Abrams, in all honesty, is that she's losing black moms to Brian Kemp. And when you go out and you tell a mom who has in many, many cases, you know, it's funny. We, we oftentimes talk about people who got accidentally pregnant. Um, they, they, they didn't realize they weren't planning. They got pregnant. I know a lot of people who struggled to have kids. I have a lot of friends who struggled to have kids and they have them and they go for that ultrasound and there you see this tiny little thing you can't even really you're like what is this ultrasound tech looking at but then you hear it and it just overwhelms you and you have that experience you have a child. You know, I, I, I sometimes I have to be careful because I, I talk about Philip who works for me too much, and I don't want to get into their private lives so much, but he, but he and his wife, his uh, not he and his wife, his wife is having a baby. And it's just this, you, you go through this this thing, and, and it's just, you're so happy for the couples that go through this, and they're beginning the next step. They've gotten married, now they're having a family. It's one a sign you're growing up, and it's just it's it's a remarkable thing you're happy for, and to have some woman who's never experienced that come along and say that's not really a heartbeat, that's just the mechanical sound designed so men can control your body. It's offensive, it's ghoulishly offensive, but it's all she's got to run on at this point. She's tried everything else, and nothing's working. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It's an open line Friday. Your calls eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Let us go back to the phones. David, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Uh, is it me? Yep, that's you. Hey, hello. Sorry, first time calling, so I might be a bit nervous. Oh, don't um, be nervous. It's just me. <laughs> thanks. Uh, so one of my big questions as a uh, pro-life supporter is I get aggravated when we just leave really great information and wealth, uh, pro, uh, pro-life weapons on the table uh, unused. And I'm wondering, uh, why is it that pro-life advocates never bring up the 2018 University of Chicago study by Stephen Andrew Jacobs, where 95% of biologists confirm that they believe that life begins at conception? Yeah, you know, for those of you who don't know, um, what Stephen Andrew Jacobs did is he uh, did a survey of people first and asked them who they would trust the most to decide when life began. And overwhelmingly, people said biologists. So he asked 60,000 biologists. Um, A few thousand replied to him and overwhelmingly said uh, life begins at conception, fertilization, uh, because the cells then begin to spontaneously reproduce outside of the control of any other organism, uh, which is a hallmark of life. And he's used that 
and the left has got in, been infuriated by it because they are claiming he questioned they questioned his methodology, saying, "Oh, you you asked sixty thousand, only the ones who wanted to respond life, they're the ones who responded." No, actually, it's really good survey, and you ask biologists who aren't involved in left wing politics, aren't left wing activists, and they'll tell you. I mean, the only ones who don't want to acknowledge it are the ones who are hardcore progressives. Um, you can take someone who's completely not political. And they'll tell you life begins at conception. Why? Because that is when life begins to regenerate itself. The cells begin to regenerate themselves. Uh, the zygote begins to split. The embryo forms. Then the, the embryo develops and, and becomes the fetus, becomes the baby. Uh, six weeks in, it begins to generate its own electrical pulses. Uh, it, it, it totally is true Religion said it, science proved it, and the left now has to revise the science because they can't argue with the data, so they have to they've got to revise the language. It's a word game for them. For the rest of us, it's life. 877-973-7425. Gary, you're gonna be up next. Welcome to the show, Gary. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. To elaborate real quick on that last caller. It doesn't fit the narrative, so therefore they won't acknowledge it. Yep. Yep. End of story. Um, changing subject matter, so to speak. <clears throat> the ballot drop boxes caused a lot of controversy, as we all know. <clears throat> My question for you, and this is curiosity of your opinion, when it comes to the ballot drop boxes, now that the pandemic is over, are those going to go away? Um, so not in Georgia, in Georgia, they have legalized drop boxes in the Georgia election law, but they have highly regulated them. So you used to be able to spread them out all over counties. Now they have to be, um, they can only be accessed during the workday. They can be outside boards of election. You have to have a Democrat and a Republican together open them to observe the ballots. You can't just have one partisan from one party do them. Uh, and, of course, the Democrats are screaming uh, in high dudgeon about this. What they all forget and what everybody misses is that nobody had drop boxes before the pandemic. Uh, this was actually a regulation of the Trump administration when they produced a guide, the Trump administration, I don't know that even Donald Trump knows that his administration did this. No one ever used drop boxes before. And when the pandemic hit, they wanted to figure out how do you do an election with this? Well, you let everybody have absentee ballots and you put up drop boxes all over the county and people just go drop them off as opposed to put them in the mailbox. Now, you know, if you put your absentee ballot in the mailbox and there's no stamp on it, the post office will still deliver it. So everybody has a drop box already. The Democrats wanted this. The Trump administration agreed, and they came up with the idea. That's God's honest truth. Democrats took advantage of the drop boxes, and they I do believe that they got ballot harvesters to go out and round up ballots. Now you're saying, well, didn't they mean the election was stolen? No, actually, um, the votes are still legal. A ballot harvester gets in trouble, but the person who gave their ballot thinking they were doing an okay thing, doesn't get in trouble. Their vote still counts. And that's what happened. And the Democrats did it. Now, that being said, I want you to know this. There were parts of the country where Donald Trump won that had drop boxes as well. Republicans focused on drop boxes as a grievance, but it really did transcend partisanship. Both parties took advantage of them. 
in states where they could. I just think we've already got a Dropbox called a mailbox. And if you do something to a Dropbox, you don't get federal penalties. But if you do something to a mailbox, you do. So we should keep doing the mailboxes and not the Dropboxes. The way Georgia has decided to do Dropboxes, however, with uh, surveillance, security, and all of that, and, and only times they can be used during the workday outside boards of elections, that's a fair compromise. You can drop off your ballot at the board of election without having to go inside. That's fair to me. But I don't know that we need them and this idea that it's abhorrent to democracy. Kamala Harris last night gave an interview and said ending drop boxes is abhorrent to democracy. We didn't have drop boxes until last year, two years ago, lady. It was democracy abhorrent until someone conjured them up two years ago. No, of course not. 877-973-7425 is the number. Xavier, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Hi. Uh, so my question today was, uh, I'm a young person, 21 years old, uh, and I have a hard time reaching out to my peers and exposing them to our ideas on things. Uh, what would be some strategies that you would use to help them be more open-minded to them? Oh, okay. Let, let's let's talk about this one because I, I, I'm, I'm a little passionate about th- this evangelical aspect of this. So when you're with your peers, um, when this subject comes up, what are you typically doing? Um, for me, a lot of times I try to go to um, exposing some of the like hypocrisy with the ideas. No, 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 no. Let, let, let's 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 go back even further. Where are you when this happens? Are you out with friends and politics comes up, or are you engaging people in debates at school? Uh, it's mostly like out with peers from like work or or something like that, and the the topic of politics gets brought up. Oh yeah, and and they have all their TikTokers and the like who tell them what they believe, and they don't want to question exactly. It. Yeah, um, first of all, I would recommend that you first make sure you have good relationships with these people. Um, you having a real deep friendship with them is more likely to persuade them than you as just a colleague. In the same way that like in a church, you want to convert somebody, you actually need to be a friend with the person as opposed to just knock on their door and say, we'd like to tell you today about your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you don't yet have and you're going to burn in hell if you don't embrace. doesn't really go over so well. Um, you got to have a you got to have a real friendship relationship with people. I think at most times, particularly as politics has become religious, for so many people, you got to have that friendship. Now, once you have that friendship, what do you do? Well, um, I would say first, respectfully, when they say something, I would never engage the topic first. If you're the person who brings up politics first when you're at an outing, you're called the turd in the punch bowl. People don't want to hang out with the person who does that. But when that person does bring up politics and say what they believe and they're wrong, engage respectfully and say, actually, I disagree and here's why. Well, you don't have the facts. I listened to Carrie, Joe, Bob, Billy, he, she, him, here, it, zer on TikTok, and they said whatever. Well, because you're not listening to Bill, Billy, Bob, Sherry, he, him, they, their, sure, sure, zer you're probably going to come across as more credible to the people in your peer group when you just say, actually, according to the government, according to the IRS, according to the Harvard School of Business, according to the University of Pennsylvania, not according to random TikTok dude, here are the facts, you have a chance. Or just say, I think that we should do it differently, and here's why. 
uh, always be respectful, never be the first one to engage in politics. And, and this was something I tried to. So when I was the, the chairman of the College Republicans, first at my alma mater, Mercy University, and then statewide in Georgia, I didn't do a lot statewide. We were trying to rebuild from some problems. But when we would get together and talk about this stuff, and I would say, first, don't be the one to go first when you're gathering of people. But when you do, always be the reasonable person. At least acknowledge that you understand their viewpoint. Show some empathy. People want empathy. This reminds me an off on the beaten path. You know, I'm a big Dave Chappelle fan. I don't recommend him for people because uh, language and vulgarity and all that stuff. I just, as someone who talks on the radio for three hours a day, off the top of my head with no script, I am fascinated by storytellers. I have become fascinated by storytellers because over time I've kind of realized it's what I do. I tell stories. I try to give you the news. Here's what's happening in your world today and why it matters to you and what's going on and tell you what I think about it. But along the way, I'm trying to at least keep you engaged and do a little bit of storytelling to keep you engaged. And Chappelle routinely comes back to people just want to know you care. And the person who shows them empathy is the person they gravitate towards. So when you talk to the young abortion activist female who thinks it's about her body, understand that it's for her about control and empowerment, and you can be sympathetic and empathetic, but also explain to her that you understand her concerns, but what about the life and when she begins to argue, well, life doesn't begin at conception, well, when does it begin? Is it when the baby is born? Well, the baby can be born well before the actual due date and survive. And if it can survive outside the womb, then then why? Um, I think you have to show empathy to people. You have to care. And honestly... Um, we at this point in this country, Xavier, we're, we're in a world where everyone wants to be the brain biblical donkey. I, so there's a, there's a story in the Bible, um, where Elijah is, he's, he's tired, he's scared, and he has gone to Mount Sinai And this is in 1 Kings 19. He's scared for his life. And he's hungry and he's tired. And he journeys for 40 days and he gets to Sinai. And he goes outside. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the God, before Yahweh, before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind after the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord went in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, and the Lord went in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And there was God in the whisper. And I sometimes think these days, so many people, that just in the age of social media, we want to stand out, we want to perform, we live in a performance culture, we want to be the wind, we want to be the earthquake, we want to be the fire. We want to be the spectacle, we want to be the brain biblical donkey. And the quiet person with the whisper 
speaks the loudest of all. The compassion, the empathy, the understanding, and the facts and the truth matter most, and they stand out when everybody else is performing. Anybody can perform. Not everybody's going to tell you the truth, and not everybody who tells you the truth is going to have empathy. You have empathy and tell the truth and be bold but not a jerk. You tend to win the argument and build the relationship long term. It's why I don't take a lot of advertising for, like, I'm never going to take advertisements from the survival food people. I'm just not. And I realize that this this to some degree hurts me because I get stuff like this. But it's why when I tell you I use an advertiser as somebody, I really do. So I'm going to the mountains this weekend. And I have in my suitcase, as I always do, my Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Now, I don't use the Eden Pure as an air purifier and leave it running all the time. I don't. That's not how I use it. They they design it so you can. And it'll get rid of the dust and the pollen and the mildew and the mold and the bacteria. But I use it as, a, as like it eliminates odors, an air purifier that eliminates odors. I use it in my car if I've gotten in and I've had too many cigars on the golf course and my car stinks. Well, I'll fire up the Eden Pure. It wipes those out. It gets rid of litter box odors. It gets rid of pet odors, tobacco, smoke odors, the cooking odors in my kitchen. If I fried shrimp and my wife's not home, she'd be furious. But I fire up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and it wipes them out. And I also use it in hotel rooms if they're musty. Now I'm going to a nice hotel and don't worry about it, but I keep it in my suitcase anyway. Rental cars, it'll take care of the odors there too. All you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in the discount code ERIC3. You'll get three of them for less than $200. One for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your RV or your rental car, your suitcase like I do. And it wipes out odors. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. On the front page of that website, you can get three of these for less than $200. They'll even give you free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Welcome it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm enjoying the conversation with you all today. I'm going to go to Michael next. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well, Mr. Erickson. That's been a while. I've been wanted to talk with you. Um, there's a term that has just bothered me for decades now, I think. Neil Bortz had something to say about it. I know Herman Cain did. And that is the term African-American. I say that because if you were born here in America, you are American, period. That goes for Asian-Americans, Filipino. I don't care who it is. Now, I do know a few people who were born in Nigeria. They got their American citizenship. Those are African-Americans. Mm-hmm. But I know Lyndon Baines Johnson back in 1964, I believe, said, I'm going to have those N words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And you know how he did it? Welfare. And I used to have a secretary that worked for me, a young black woman, back when Clinton was. Uh, running for president. I asked her who she was going to vote for. She said, Clinton. I said, why? And she said, because he'll make sure my mama gets her benefits. She was talking about welfare. That is just. Well, okay. (laughs) So I I would say uh, what Lyndon Johnson did with the Great Society uh, and the Civil Rights Act, you can't forget it was the Civil Rights Act. 
that had more to do with uh, black voters moving to the Democratic Party than anything else, even though it was Republicans who helped him get it. He was uh, identified with the Civil Rights Act. And then the Great Society to try to elevate Southern black families out of poverty. Now, what it actually did, I think, was it, it and most social scientists these days would say it actually hurt families more than helped. But that was that was it. Um, as to the phrase African-American, you know, even Whoopi Goldberg in the past has said she actually is offended by the phrase because uh, she's an American and um, she is not an African. And, I, you know, it has led to bizarre things. I think it was Bob Costas in the 96 Olympics. I seem to remember, sir, not in 96. It would have been after that. Um, it was the one in Barcelona referred to the first non-African-American African uh, winning a race. It was a white person from South Africa who won a race that typically uh, had been won by people from Africa who were not white. And the way he used the word black was to say African-American. It's it's just, it, I agree with you, the hyphenation of American is not a good thing. But I would be careful in how we repackage history. It was not getting people on welfare that led to the rise of black voters voting for Democrats. It was breaking up desegregation in the South with Lyndon Johnson.